Well, good morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Vincent Hoppy. I'm the pastor here at Grace and Peace Church. We've been meeting since March 3rd. It has been a pleasure to be with you guys and see so many of you week after week. Uh, one of the things that you need to know about Grace and Peace are some of the things that we value. And one of the things that we value is discipleship or teaching people how to follow Jesus with Monday in mind. Uh, why does this matter? Because many of us, whenever we think about uh, kind of church and everything like that, we can come back and retort, what does Sunday have to do with Monday? What does it have to do with my work? What does it have to do with my family? You can go and worship on Sunday, and it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the week. But to the contrary, one of the things that we do here at Grace and Peace and everything that we uh, want to uh, do is to understand that God is in the business of shaping you to be a particular type of person to be in the world, to reflect his goodness, his glory into the rest of the world. And you do that, you reflect God's goodness into the rest of the world through your work, through the way you take care of kids, including wiping their heinies. It is a spiritual thing. That's a spiritual practice to actually do that. It is spiritual to, to uh, the way you watch TV. It, is, it matters. And so who we worship matters and how we worship matters to our Monday. And what we also like to do is we, we believe work matters because we believe that God is building a physical kingdom. He's not going to trash his creation. You see, in the beginning, the story tells us that God creates this good world and he says that it is very good. He loves it, but then sin enters in and corrupts it through our rebellion. And then through it, the story is, how is God going to save his world again? He loves the world, and when it says world, it means all the stuff of the world even, all the cosmos. He loves it, and he's going to redeem it by getting his children back by getting people for his own name to recreate the world so that it would be the world that it was meant to be. And so God is working through that. And so we do discipleship with Monday in mind. God is trying to redeem every part of the world. Uh, Interesting, though, we turn our attention, and there is this strange part of the text which Jesus basically claims to be an inanimate object or seemingly where he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. The door of the sheep. To which you will get out of me my common uh, common phrase is, say what? That, that's kind of common for me. Uh, another say what moment would have been on April 19th, 1993. I got home from fourth grade and it was hot in New Mexico. I came home and I saw on television breaking news. And typically what I would do is I would turn to MTV immediately because back then they showed things called music videos. And if you're real young, you have no idea what a music video is except for on YouTube 
and you guys are cool with that. But I would normally switch over to MTV, but something caught my attention. There was on TV a compound that had been laid under siege for about a week by alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. I had no idea what that meant. I knew what alcohol, tobacco, and firearms were, but I had no idea that there was an agency that regulated it somehow. And they were laying siege to this compound, and it was on fire. And I'm like, oh no, what's going on? Who are these people? And why do the feds want them? And so what happened was uh, 79 people would sadly perish that day. The compound was led and held by a cult uh, called the Branch Davidians. They were led by their Messiah figure, David Koresh. Uh, Koresh is a word, a Hebrew word that, uh, um, that meant anointed one after, after the name Cyrus. Cyrus from the Old Testament, who was an anointed one, he was a messianic figure. And so David Koresh took this name onto himself, Koresh, as a messianic person. He was a savior. But David Koresh was doing violence, hoarding guns, holding people at gunpoint and different things like that. He was doing violence to people. He was using them. And of course, in my little 10-year-old mind, mostly because I'm neurotic and a little weird, I started investigating what the heck is a cult? You know, I didn't really grow up in a Christian home, and so I started looking, what is a cult? And I started to find out that people would, uh, by powerful means, would trick others into joining their group that was a splinter, typically off of Christianity, and went and kind of like hobby-horsed on one particular type of teaching, and David Koresh was doing that. And of course, at 10 years old, I resolved to say, well, that'll never be me. I'll never be taken taken in. But then, here's the deal. All of us, all of us have been fooled one way or another by a messianic imposter trying to say to us, I can make your life better. And the promises are still made today. Do this diet, you'll live longer. Drink chia seeds once a day, and you'll look like the rock. I don't know how many chia seeds I'm going to need to look like the rock, but I'm pretty sure there's not enough chia seeds in the world. But I digress. Follow my eight rules for living, some promise, and you'll have the best relationships in your life. You know, don't sweat the small stuff. Read my book. It costs $20. Listen to my podcast, and I am going to fix all your relationships and make your world into paradise. They're messianic imposters. And Jesus, though, says this. He throws the gauntlet down and he says that he is the door. Anyone who poses to be a leader, anyone who poses to be a shepherd, anyone who, who would, would uh, want to say, this is how you get your best life now, he says, ah, you got to enter in through me. You got to do business with me. You got to know something about Jesus. And he challenges them in a particular way. And so he does, you have to do business with these, these false, the, the false teachers have to do business with Jesus. And we need to be careful about leaders or shepherds we choose to follow. Because Jesus says that they're actually thieves and robbers is what he ends up saying. They will do us harm. More than that, we'll become like them because we admire them. We'll end up following them, you know, and they give us something that we're lacking. We'll we'll overlook the numerous faults because they make us feel a particular way, 
We'll, we'll ignore the fact that they'll never come through, really, because they provide something we believe deficient in ourselves. And there's many people who've been hurt by Christians and Christianity. That's true. And it's unfortunate. We should be saddened by that. But the thing is, is every one of us, if we're a leader, needs to admit that we could fail too. We can be a false Messiah for someone. Because the seeds of sin is in the hearts of all of us. It's in all of us. I am not the Christ. Needs to be our confession. And here's the thing. Neither is the person sitting next to you. You make your spouse into your savior and you'll ruin them. You make your children and their achievements into your savior, your own little Messiah project, and you'll crush them. That's the thing. We can't be looking to any other leaders, any false messiahs. We need to be looking to Jesus. So let's look at this context. Uh, Notice that in verse 1, he immediately starts with truly, truly. Never does a dialogue typically start out of nowhere with this truly, truly statement. He says it again. It means absolutely true. Listen to this. Perk up your ears. And so who is he responding to? The immediate context means he is talking to these Pharisees. And Pharisees, if you know what a Pharisee is, a Pharisee is a person who at the time believed that God was going to be on their side whenever God showed up. Why? Because they were following Torah. Believing that they could leverage God because they followed Torah, and then Jesus says this there that they uh, they they get Jesus so much saying uh, that they ask him, "Hey, are you saying that we are blind?" We're looking up at nine forty, and Jesus says to them, "If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Meaning, you have no excuse. You know what is right, and yet you don't do it. You haven't done business with me." And so he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold but, uh, by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And so he says to them, these supposed leaders, these Pharisees who are teaching them the way, you're false. You have entered in by jumping over the wall. You're a thief and you're a robber. Meaning that you intend to do either by cunning, by deception, take one out, or to do violence to them. And so they believed that they were uh, going to have, have God on their side, and then God shows up in the person of Jesus Christ, and he says, mm, not so fast. Later in the book of Matthew, he would call them blind guides. And one of the biggest things about why God needed to show up was because Israel had been following these poor, bad teachers. To the point in Ezekiel, God says this, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back, the loss you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So God says, you rulers are terrible. 
You are feeding yourselves on the sheep. You are feeding yourselves on the sheep. And the only way you can possibly, uh, possibly come in is that you have to come through the door. You know, in a sheep pen in the first century, though, so this image of this sheep pen is oftentimes they were communal. So they might have been a little bit, they would have been beside a, a house, but they're communal. So three or four different people's sheep would be in there together. And the shepherd would leave them there, and one of the shepherds maybe would lay down in front of this door. So it wasn't like an ornate door or anything like that. It was probably either like a gate or the shepherd himself would lay down in front of this gate so to keep the sheep in in the middle of the night or to keep things like you know like wolves or wild dogs out at night right so this is kind of a, so so the shepherd is going to protect them but in the middle of the night, maybe a thief or a robber can jump over the wall. And often these walls were made out of like mud. So it's kind of like adobe if you're from New Mexico. And so you know adobe looks like if you're from Mexico, it's everywhere. And oftentimes they have like thorns or, or like some sort of uh, uh, sharp spikes on the top to keep people from getting in. But some people get in. And so this is the image we have. And the gatekeeper would often keep people out. And so he'd protect him. So why is Jesus, though, worked up? Mostly because he sees these Pharisees as injuring his people. Why? Because he loves them. Not because of the utility that sheep give him, but because they are his sheep. And that goes for you. Why is judgment so much harder on those who are false leaders? Because they injure people like you. They teach you false things, and then you become like those false people. And so there's two questions, and there's two questions we need to ask today. One, who protects you? And two, who are you following? So one, who protects you? You know, um, and we're not talking like who protects you. We're not talking like protecting you after the fact, like all state. You know what I mean? You know, he says he protects you from mayhem. No, Allstate only helps you after the fact. Then they help you pay your bills and different things like that. If maybe like a cat gets stuck on a, uh, starts chewing the toaster wire and puts your cabinets on fire or something like that, that's mayhem, right? But that protects you. So, so what is scarier here, what's going on here is he sets himself up as this gate so that in the middle of the night, no one can come in, no one can go out except for the one who actually owns the sheep. All right, and so it's, it's a front thing. And also it says that when he has gathered the sheep, that he goes before them. And the sheep follow his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they'll flee from him. And they do not know the voice of strangers. So he takes on this image that he is like a shepherd who can lead them and also guard them. You know, and this is the, he's, not, he's like the gatekeeper. Um, and he's the gatekeeper that, you know, he won't back down. You know, he, he could, he's, he's way, way tougher than anyone else could possibly be. Why? Because in retrospect, if you are a sheep, you know, and you identify as a sheep, that means that shepherd's got a lot more tools and ability than you do. That means if you're a sheep, you know, you see the funny pictures of them on television getting stuck in holes, you see them falling over, 
You know, you just see them being dumb all the time, which is not a flattering image for you and I, but if we were honest, that's probably where we are. But notice these false teachers. Notice them, that they have snuck in. And he's saying this about the Pharisees, and he's saying it about everybody else. We look to these false messiahs to try and protect us. And the way the Pharisees said, you want protection? You really... You really want protection? This is how you do it. You have to listen to the Torah. Do these 10 rules. Do it perfectly. Not even just the 10 rules. You need to do things so that you don't even get close to breaking the 10 rules. Okay? In this way, everything will be fine. And oftentimes we have these things that we look to protect us today. We have these false messiahs. You know, one of them maybe is like the appearance of being high-functioning. You ever ever do this? You're able to keep your job. Your house always looks good. Everything is in order. You don't want anyone ever to make you see, let anyone see that you're weak. You know, you don't want to let them see you sweat. So you never confess. Everything's buttoned up tight. Cars always put in order. Everything is put together. So no one would ever ask you a question of how you're doing. Why would you ever ask me how I'm doing? Of course I'm doing fine. Everything is together. You show up on work at, on time. And so what has happened is you start to follow these rules so that no one ever asks you a question, so that you never, ever need help. Another one is just basic moralism. You're always doing the right thing. You play the right part. You have the best social media posts on Instagram with you helping out, picking up at the park, or helping kids after school. Why? Because in the end, maybe you're insecure whether or not God's going to judge you well. You say, ah, you know, God owes me. I'm not like those people who do nothing. Maybe it's politics. Maybe if I vote the right way. Maybe if I get this person in, then everything is going to be right and it's going to mean paradise for me. We look for those things to protect us. But they can't do it. You know what was a good one for me? A few years ago, I had uh, um, someone say, Vince, you're like the theology police. You... You, you like to get on everybody's case who's wrong. And I'm like, oh, come on. He, he, then, then he went for the dagger and he said, Vince, you think you're better because you're theologically correct. Even more than that, Vince, you think you're saved because you got right doctrine. And of course, my retort was, well, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> Which proves... One thing is that I was relying on good doctrine to protect myself. You see, Christianity isn't about having the right doctrine. Christianity is the belief that you are actually saved, not because you have right doctrine, but because you were all mixed up and that Jesus himself had to save you. Sometimes we get that mixed up. Is it important to have right doctrine, good doctrine? Yes. But when we make it an ultimate thing, you crush other people. You know, these are all ways of trying to do violence to you. And Jesus says, they have to come through me. And if they don't come through me, they're judged. They're judged. 
You know, they're all trying to take advantage of you. They're saying, if you don't do it correctly, you'll be condemned. Once you fail that false Messiah, it will condemn you and, you, and, and it'll look for you to sacrifice to it for its sake. Like, you, it, make it up to me. But Christianity isn't that. Other religions will say, sacrifice yourself to make yourself acceptable. But only Christianity says that God sacrificed himself and you are acceptable. You know, it is uh, this line from Johnny Cash out of a, one of his most popular songs is, uh, because you're mine, I walk the line. Johnny Cash was, was saying this as a commitment to his wife, who he'd later cheat on, but he was saying this, and Jesus says, that, says this, you're mine, you're my sheep, I will keep it, I will keep the rules for you. Uh, there was a story in World War II in a POW camp where these soldiers who were digging a ditch had to put all their shovels back away. And at the end, one of the guards counted, and there were supposed to be 18 shovels, and there were only 17 shovels. And so they started asking people, where is it? Where's this one shovel? And they started to beat a soldier, and they said, tell us where this shovel is. Where's this shovel? Thinking that he had stolen it. And then suddenly, someone, uh, one of the guards says, all die. All die. All 18 soldiers were going to die because they were missing this one shovel. And one man, though, steps up and says, I took it. And so they kill the one man, only to find guards find out later that they had miscounted the shovels. You see, the thing about Jesus as being this gate or this shepherd is not that he demands you to have everything correct and right. It's that he stands in front of you, even if you've messed up everything, and he protects you from people who are tyrants so that all must not die, but that he dies for you. That's the kind of God that we follow. He is that type of person. And if you see a leader who's not willing to give up of himself, who's more absorbed in himself, don't follow him. Don't do that. So the second question then is, who do you follow? And we will always follow a voice that is familiar. And notice he says that he will lead them out. And then he also says this real particular thing. He says, I am the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. We'll say that in 11. And he says, though, like anyone who he, um, he comes before me, they were, they're just thieves. Do not listen to them. And then he says, he will be saved. Anyone who enters by me will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And the idea of going in and out, we actually uh, read it this morning out of uh, Psalm 121, this idea that God would guard them, that he would be present with them, is this blessing. It's this blessing. It's also found in Deuteronomy um, uh, chapter 28, verse 6, is this covenantal blessing, meaning that God is going to stick with them. And wherever they go, when they come outside, or they go in, 
God is with them to bless them and to be careful, be, be with them. So the question is, is who do you follow? Are you following the one who's actually there to bless you, to kind of be with you when, as you go in and you go out? Are you following the one who's going to give you life abundantly, he says? And it doesn't just mean like biological life. No, it means like real life, the life you crave, the life you've ever, you always wanted, to be really, truly human. That's the life he's giving. But we always follow whatever voice is familiar. So one of the, one, there, I've come across this quote by a guy named Ricardo Sanchez. He's a lieutenant general, and he said, Satan knows, your na- knows, knows you by name and calls you by your sins, but God knows your sins and calls you by name. And here's the way it goes. Most of the time, whenever we follow false messiahs, it's like following Satan. He knows kind of the resonance of your heart. You always, he knows what, your, what the tune that your heart plays. And so if you ever want to know what key you kind of sing in or, or whatever, what you do is you crack open a piano. You could see the strings. And if you were able to sing a note, unlike me, you'd be able to see which, note, which, which string is vibrating. And it resonates. And your heart works a lot like a piano. With all of our temptations, all of our wants, what happens is Satan sometimes plays a real particular tune, a real particular note, and it resonates deep in your heart. Satan knows what our song is, what our resonance is. He knows our sins. Do you feel like you're inadequate at your job? Then you'll feel like you always have to work. Do you feel like you're not beautiful enough? Then you'll always feel like you have to look cute and Instagram it. Do you feel like you are not noticed? Then you'll always have to ham up for attention at a party. Do you feel anxious about finances? Then you will check your budget every 15 minutes and you will hoard all your money. Do you feel like a failure? Then you'll always feel like you have to achieve. But in Christianity... The thing is, the, the song that has been replayed into our heart, retuned to our hearts, is that the ultimate thing about you is that you are His and free to confess all your inadequacies because in Him you know that those things can't give you what you ultimately need. It can't give you everything. It can't be everything. Only Jesus can be that for you. So here's the challenge. To identify what it is we're following. What are the songs in our heart that Satan plays the little tune and we just follow along? How do we identify those? How do we get down to find out that we have a false leader? And there's lots of false leaders in our lives. And we're all following it. You know, and one of the things, uh, if you know my kids, we actually have a call. Like a family call, it's really weird. Um, because, like, if we end up at, like, a concert or something like that or we're uh, on a crowded playground, I have this call, and they know exactly what it is, and they'll come and follow me. It, it, is, it is not like a hunting call. It's actually this. I go, 
And my kids hear that, and they will come as if they're like little stray cats. And they're like, hey, you got milk? And they just kind of come up, right? You see, that's a call that they only know. Because there's something about knowing your children, and your children know you. There's a relationship there. And that's what Jesus is saying about the sheep. He's saying, they know me, and I know them. We have this deep, quiet call. Like, if you hear that, and somehow you come, and I don't know you, I'm going to kick you out. Right? But my children, I'm going to get down and hug them. And so here's the other thing. If someone comes by my kid and they're like, hey, kid, I lost my puppy. I've got candy in the truck. My kids are like, nah, you're false. Get out of here. Why? Because, because they know. That ain't my dad. I can't trust this person. And so here's the deal. In Christianity, one of the things we know is that it is not, Christianity is not do these ten things and you'll get to heaven. But Christianity in the core of the gospel, the core of the gospel message is that Jesus Christ, God himself, came down to get you. And when we get that tuned into our heart, we can start seeing all these little false things that you've got to achieve. You've got to be somebody. We'll reveal them for what they are, false saviors. They're false saviors. They're thieves and robbers that have jumped over the wall and trying to do violence to you. You're his sheep. You're his people. You are his blood-bought lambs. Uh, William Cooper puts it this way, to see the law of Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. You want to follow him because he's beautiful. You want to do those things. You want to love other people because you've been so loved. You've been transformed. Who do we follow? You've got to ask your, your, yourself this question. Am I becoming more demanding? Am I becoming a scold? Am I always looking down at everybody else for their poor theology? Am I always looking down at everybody else for their poor moral performance? I'm following a false savior. But if suddenly you're becoming more gracious, more kind, more like Jesus more like Jesus, to keep following. Keep hearing about the gracious, kind love, a never giving up love in Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't approach you and tell you to start achieving, get it together. No. He loves you. And the greatest evidence is that is on the cross. He gives himself up for you. He lays his life down for you. Not because you're worthy, but because you're his. Because he loves you. And that's the story of Christianity. That's the story that we live out day to day. And we bring out into the world, following him, caring for other people, being gracious and kind, because he's the king to whom we follow who gave his life up for us.
That's who we follow. And that is what is signed and sealed in this meal. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving God, you are the door of the sheep that we can only come in and go out through your presence, that you are with us, and that anyone who comes in another way, who is singing a different song, they're just going to do violence to us, Lord. Help us to know that. Help us to hear these siren songs that we've been listening to. Pray that they would be exposed, Lord. Help us now to follow you in loving others, loving this community, loving our coworkers, caring for our neighbors, caring for the poor, the sick, the hungry, not because they are worthy, because they belong to you. In Christ's name, amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us this morning confess our common faith in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Apostles' Creed that we just said has been said as a, uh, generally as a baptismal confession for centuries, since probably the second century that has been around. And so you just confess something that people from ancient times have been saying that they believed. And you join them, and you join them together saying, saying that Jesus is the one whom we, who we need, that Jesus is the one who we follow. And that is what we, is signed and sealed to us here in the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, we will come forward today. There's a row here and a row there, sort of. I messed that up when I was doing chairs. You will come out from the center and then down from the sides. You'll come forward. You'll take bread. You'll eat it. If you need gluten-free bread, it is at the table right here. There is grape juice on the outer ring and wine on the inner ring. There will be uh, people at the ends uh, there to pray for you as well. But this is, a, um, this is a meal for those who believe. And so therefore, let us proclaim our faith is signed and sealed in these sacraments. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And so this meal is for those who have faith. If that isn't what you believe, if maybe you have some strong doubts or objections, I understand that. You can come ask me questions afterward. We can hang out and I'll answer some of those questions. But this is a meal for those who have faith in Jesus Christ, who trust Him as the door of the sheep, that the only way to get to heaven, the only way to see the world put to rights is through Jesus Christ Himself. If that isn't what you believe, we ask that you uh, just observe, don't take, because we don't want you to do anything that's inauthentic to where you're at. 
But if you do believe, then this table is for you because Jesus invites you. It was on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it as often as you do in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim his death until he comes again. Let's pray. Our gracious God, I pray that you would bless these elements so that we would know your goodness, your kindness, and love to us. And I pray that we would be transformed by them. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.